This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcasts. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to History Teachers Talking Podcast. Tom, I think we have a pretty interesting one today. Yeah, always. Um, as always, as always. You know, one thing I found out doing this research is the fact that the biggest enemy of any soldier seems to be sleep. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's right? also an enemy when you have uh, two young kids. It's also something that you don't really Indeed. experience that often. But yes, yeah, sleep is definitely something that soldiers have to deal with that fatigue because it's not just physical, it's also mental. And then um, what we've been looking at today is basically ways that the governments and militaries have tried to avoid sleep, to help soldiers avoid sleep in many different ways, almost creating what would be called a super soldier, right? Exactly. So what we're going to run through, as Tom pointed out, is we're basically going to look at history's quest to create a super soldier. We're going to start with World War II. We're going to talk about Russia. We're going to talk about the Nazis. Um, then we're going to get into like DARPA initiatives in the United States and kind of run through um, you know, like 20th century, more or less, of experiments to create super soldiers. And then we'll get to more common and current, not common, that's the wrong word, but more current quests to create a super soldier that we are still attempting to, you know, create today. In different ways. Yeah. This, this different isn't, ways. we don't want people to think this isn't like, you know, being hooked up and blasted with uh, well, gamma rays and vita rays. It's not, you know, yes. it's not Captain America type stuff here. Yeah. Um, but they were trying to increase strength, so I guess in a way it was like strength. Like I was going to say, it kind of was, right? It kind of was, yeah, but it's not like that extreme. It's not like, you know, comic book, because everyone's always like, oh, you have a comic book podcast. No, we don't have a comic book podcast. You know, it's no. a, yeah, don't have that. This is history. This is history. Yes. Um, one thing I kind of also want to just kind of bring up that some of the stuff we talk about today might be a little sensitive for our youngest viewers. So I just kind of wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, I guess but, some of the stuff that we're talking about. Some of the stuff, stuff, yeah. Some, some of the, the Nazi, Nazi experiments and yeah. everything, definitely. So it's I think we'll th throw that in there. So I guess we'll uh, we'll go back to World War II and start this quest for a super soldier. Uh, I wanted to kind of start it with Russia, if that's okay. okay. Yeah. You know, the, I mean, Russia's got some interesting, you know, scientific things. I mean, I don't, did you read the 1920s after World War One? They try to create like half ape babies. It was like five, they actually got five women to agree to this. To agree with it, going. they were going to do it. Well, I have, I have a lot of this stuff here. What basically happened with him was that Stalin wanted some, like a, he was interested in the idea of creating hybrids. They were very, that, this was the, a big thing. And the, Russia had a scientist that was very, he was um, Elon Ivanovic Ivano, um, probably saying that a little bit wrong. And what he basically was, he was the number one animal breeder mostly for like racehorses and horses and stuff in in the Soviet Union in Russia and he was famous for he tried to create a human ape hybrid because he was also trying to prove darwinism was correct he's trying to prove that theory of evolution was correct that we evolved from from apes in some way shape or form and therefore since we evolved from apes and we share so much dna that a human ape hybrid would be possible and um, he actually um artificially inseminated several female orangutans um, wait, human sperm in an attempt to do it, but none of the um, the pregnancies took, as you were saying, yep. Peter. And they, yep. yeah, they, they actually had like five women volunteer. I'm not sure how much they were volunteered, you know, in the Soviet government back well, then. It but, is Soviet Union, yeah. But they did agree to be artificially inseminated with, our, with the orangutan DNA, but the orangutan Tarzan actually passed away before they could um, 
get any DNA it. from him. And, uh, yeah. and then after that, when there were some purges, he kind of lost favor with Stalin. That was the end of it. But the idea was to create these ape-human hybrids. And hopefully, well, the idea was uh, what Stalin was kind of got caught up with. I mean, well, we have to do a podcast. We always say this, right? We have to do a podcast <laughs> on this guy. We should do one on Stalin at some point. Just all his like weird, his, his like, weird like his weird mindsets and like the psychosis yeah. of Stalin. Fear, psychosis. Yeah, yeah. Because his idea was like, listen, if we can have a a soldier with the strength of an ape, right? But with the but with a human, human intelligence. intelligence. You know, at some level, he also wanted them to be very obedient. That's what he was hoping too, that they could be trained. But with human intelligence, but the strength of an ape, like, how would you stop that? And that, that was really one. Of, he thought this would be like, this would be amazing. Obviously, it didn't happen. Hopefully, it didn't happen. But there's a lot of rumors. If you go online and just start like researching this, that even though they say that it didn't work, that in some, there's some individuals that say, no, this did work. This guy, he, it did work. He was able to inseminate. Um, and give they did give birth to some sort of human ape hybrid, and a lot of the um, clergy got upset with that because what does that mean for like religion if something like that did happen? Yeah, you know. So I think a lot of things we're going to talk about today are ethics or ethics is a know, big problem. Yeah, but theoretically, behind. it is possible for that to happen. And there's been over the years so many different like with um, human Z that whole experiment Oliver to human Z. So if you go home, mm-hmm. type that into your Google machine, and you know you'll, you'll see that <laughs> pop machine. up. You'll see that pop up because they definitely um, show that. But um, it was very interesting, yeah, it, to create these. This is one of the first attempts and somewhat of creating some sort of super soldier, this human-ape hybrid. I'm sorry if I kind of uh, commented. No, that no, one, that's I, perfect. I remember hearing about this a long time ago. I was like, oh, yeah, we got it. Uh, so we, we thought of this topic. It's like, yeah, I definitely want to research this a bit Well, like in kind of sticking with the Soviet Union, uh, did you get into the idea of they were trying to implant gold electrodes into people's brains to eliminate yes. the pain center? I was reading that, and I wasn't sure if that was real or not. <laughs> so apparently, like, there's a historian, Jeff Strasberg, yeah, yeah. Um, that did his research on this. And he said he found ample evidence, uh, enough evidence at least, to say that between 1936 and 1941, um, yeah, the, the Soviets were trying to implant gold electrodes into the brains of people to eliminate the, the pain center, or at least to mess with the pain center in the brain. Yeah. Well, it goes to, I found the uh, news report coming from like the... Um, Russian government at that time, and it says that they want a new, invincible human being, insensitive to pain, resistant, and indifferent about the quality of food they eat. Like that was kind of like that was like their goal, like objective. So whatever they had to do to get that objective, they were willing to do. Mm-hmm. And like whether it's gold electrodes, human ape hybrids, you know, whatever they yeah. had to do. And this kind of this one kind of sounds like you know the Winter Soldier here. But did you read about the experiments of trying to replace like healthy limbs and bones? Uh, with titanium implants in soldiers, they would actually try to change bones and put titanium in there for soldiers to kind of resist breaking. It's like almost Wolverine, basically. Yeah, that they were basically trying to create Wolverine. And at first I was like, okay, this is a little odd. But then, you know, maybe this isn't really true. But then I started kind of researching a little bit. Again, disputed, but there is evidence to prove that this does exist. Um, and even there's some Nazi intelligence that the Soviets were trying to create these super soldiers using titanium um, for bones as well as gold electrodes in the brains. And apparently this was happening in the breast region. It was actually bombed by the Nazis once you know Operation Barbarossa started and the Nazis invaded Russia. Apparently the you know the Nazis did try to target this you know, program. But anyway, what's also interesting here is that there was evidence of American allies captured like a secret military facility in Germany 
where they actually found a lot of Soviet troops that had their bones replaced with steel limbs. And what they found on those was actually like a serial code number. And it was also written next to it. There was writing in Russian, which made them believe that these bones and these experiments were actually not German experiments. They were Soviet experiments that the Germans were trying to recreate, which is kind of interesting. Well, both sides are doing stuff like this on prisoners, you know, whoever they captured. They would put them on the like freezing or various mm-hmm. methods, you know, warming them up, freezing them, understand how the body reacted to those things. They were exposing yep. them to low and high pressures, all these things, uh, poison, just to see how it would affect them and then just treat them one way or other so what, what they could do later on. And so it's really not that hard of a progression to really think about, all right, let's replace the bones and see if we can do that. Yep. It's um, what else can we pump into these people and see how it works. And the prisoners of war were really like live guinea pigs, basically, that they were yep. testing during this time, yeah. There's a physician, Sergei Konovalenko, I think is his name. In 1994, he kind of raised uh, some red flags. So he said that he was able to locate and find a skeleton, an old cemetery, that, um, you know, essentially this was near a river, and the river kind of washed out the grave, and the, the body came up. And he was surprised to find that the bony skeleton was connected with metal limbs. Um, and they were had hinges and stuff. And in one specific place, he actually said it was an inscription. It said Karkov 05-35. And he was like, whoa, what is this? But then apparently someone stole it from him. Like someone actually stole this body from him before I, he got a chance. I, you always hear about these things. Like who decides to steal these things? Is it like uh, I, I, just some random I mean, person? Right. Or is it like, yeah, like a government agency? Like make sure this doesn't happen. You always hear these little conspiracy. We found it, but someone stole it. Well, if it's, if, if it's, you know, and I'm, I'm a very much uh, a skeptic from all these conspiracy theories type of things. Yeah. But like, I, I'd be open to it, but like you, you have it and it's just going to prove your theory. Put it somewhere. that's not going to get stolen. Like <laughs> yeah. guard it. And this, know, is, this is the nineties. Keep it under your bed at night. Like, I don't understand how you put it somewhere where someone can just take it. If, you, if this is going to like prove, take pictures of it. It's the nineties. Exactly. Yeah. They have a yeah. thing called cameras. So. Right. I don't know. It's there's just, also a video. There's also a video. I guess it was an old reel, um, like a newsreel from the 40s where, again, these are Soviet experiments. And supposedly this, this newsreel did, did exist. At least someone claims that they, you know, they had it or seen it where you're looking at there's operations that were done on soldiers where the pain center was suppressed with the, the gold things. And essentially they said that they would expose these soldiers to these like brutal tests and they would cut them and all kinds of stuff and these guys were just like smiling in a video like they they had no pain which again supposedly this video exists or this film exists but no one has seen it i don't know do you have anything else for soviets well the big thing that i found with the soviets was in an article talking about how the Germans invade, you know, I've talked about before with Operation yeah. Barbarossa, so you can't take Russia with crystal meth, and we'll get to that, the whole Nazis involvement mm-hmm. in crystal meth. But it said, in the meanwhile, the Soviets preferred vodka. And it was one of these things that basically what this, this particularly in like Stalingrad, Leningrad, a lot of these places, the Soviets would issue a certain amount of vodka to their soldiers as part of their rations, and they were encouraged to drink it as much as possible. And you had a quote from a Soviet um, colonel saying, when our soldiers find alcohol, they take leave of their senses. You can't expect anything from them until they have finished the last drop. If we hadn't had the drunkenness like this, um, we would have beaten the Germans two years ago. So that's something that um, it's kind of like 
they were giving it to them to self-medicate, to kind of like forget it, but then they would also it find it around. It kind of backfired. <laughs> and you're going to see that with a lot of what we're talking about today is that, yeah, they work in the short term, some of these drugs and some of these techniques, but they have long lasting health effects on the individual. And they probably wind up hurting the war effort too, because what happened is these soldiers become addicted to it and they can't get it. That becomes a problem. But yeah, that a lot of the Russian soldiers were drinking basically, and it makes sense when you think about it, the horrors that they were experiencing. And it just like delayed a lot of it and resulted in more deaths because they're basically fighting. They're not on their full senses. They might not feel the pain, but they're still, it's still mess with them physically and psychologically in different ways. Yeah, I guess we should jump over to the Nazis, right? This is where and, it gets crazy. Yeah, this yeah. is where it gets crazy. And you kind of touched upon some of this before. You know, the Nazis had racial experimentation, you know, to try to prove that they were the master race. Uh, they had like war injury experimentation of, all right, well, our soldiers, how can we make sure that our soldiers withstand anything that's really thrown at them? Then they had like pharmaceutical testing. Altogether, all of this was done on prisoners. You know, a lot of times the prisoners were Jewish. A lot of these tests were done at concentration camps, but not all the time. There was the idea of high altitude experiments, right? Um, to see how long people could, with, or their soldiers or their pilots could withstand the loss of air pressure. Because these are, yeah, so, these are the time, I'm sorry to interrupt, but these are, this yeah, is before pressurized air cabins. They had some suits yep. that you would wear. But as these planes were getting, going higher and higher to avoid the anti-aircraft fire, things mm-hmm. of that nature, it's colder, the air is thinner. The human body can only take so much. Yeah, it's, it's still an issue that they have today, like with the fighter jets that go yeah. faster than sound and stuff like <laughs> yeah. that. People pass out. The fighter pilots, yeah, we yeah. do this, we pass out. Like, what? <laughs> like, you know, you can only take so That's many cheese. Yeah, you can only take so. Yeah, they would, you would pass out. So they yeah. find ways and try to try to avoid that. And one way, and the key was also to see at what point would they pass out. So they would yeah. take prisoners, they would put them in these pressure chambers, and to replicate what might happen at high altitudes. And it, some, I mean, oftentimes it led to death. They were trying to play with death. It's like at what point. Where was the breaking uh, point? Where, when is the breaking point? How much could the human body pilot? endure? Exactly. And I was trying to make stronger, better pilots. And then, as you mentioned before, the freezing experiments, you know, treatment for hyperthermia. They would put people in tanks of ice water for hours to kind of see, okay, how long will it take for my soldier, if he's shot down in the freezing waters, to survive? Okay, what can we do to improve that? Then you have the idea of pharmaceutical testing same thing is you want to create medicine to kind of counter diseases but also they would essentially poison people and then try to work on antidotes you know like all right if my soldier is being pressured or interrogated and they give him some form of medication what can he do or take to counter the effects of that medication they are using human guinea pigs for this. Yes. Prisoners. Of oh, even something as, as insane as, you know, like amputating people's legs and... Um, sewing them back on. Yeah, they were doing that. Exactly. Sewing amputations, um, transplants, and all this stuff winds up later on. I mean, we could do a whole podcast on that. Here we go again. Uh, we, we get that information. Like, we, we make a deal with a lot of... I know the Japanese war criminals with 7 Unit 31 and a lot of the German ones. Sorry, we won't prosecute you for some of these war crimes that you've definitely committed... If you just give us this information, because it is valuable medical research. It's ones that yeah. you could never do in a Western democracy. You would never get away with that. Yeah. But they're like, well, you already did it. We have the information. And then a lot of that does usher in. I'm not saying, you know, the ends justify the means, but it is there. Yeah. And that's how a lot of the medical advancements that come in the 50s come from a lot of this stuff. That's all. It's a, it's a dark point of history that 
ushered in a huge advantage, but was it how it happened? A lot of people don't know. Yep. I mean, the, the Japanese also, for the, with regards to, since you kind of touched upon that, they also try to really test vitamin A and their ability for their pilots to see better. So they would like inject their pilots with excessive amounts of vitamin A, um, you know, kind of like good old carrots to see yeah. if it would improve their ability to see further. And there were some tests that were done that actually proved that that was indeed successful. At some level, so, yeah. yeah. At some level, yes. All right, let's All get right, into right. some of these, what, what the big Nazi, what the Nazis yep. were doing as far as. Yep. What do you got? Well, the main one, I'm sure you found it too. I'm probably going to butcher the name a little bit, right? But by 1940, oh, they, they were trying to basically invade France, right? We mm -hmm. know about this. We're not going to do a history lesson here. So um, a lot of the long missions, the bombing missions, they weren't trying to like ward off sleepingness and hunger if their planes were shot down. So mm -hmm. it was a drug called pervitin. Pervitin, yeah, it is pervitin. It was basically crystal meth, correct? Mm -hmm. That's, that's what I, yep, what I was reading. And um, it was also the year of the Blitz. And a lot of, they're saying that the reason the Nazis were so relentless and devastating with these bombing attacks was because they were fueled by this essentially crystal meth speed. And it was just keeping them awake all the time. And it's also increasing their aggression big time. Mm -hmm. So the soldiers didn't have fear. They didn't have that human nature of like, eh, maybe I shouldn't be charging at this machine gun nest. And so it was like, ah, oh, like all guns out, the blazing forward. And they didn't have fear. And if they did get shot, they didn't feel pain. So it mm -hmm. worked really well. Again, it's going to have lasting effects on the war. Um, and the British were aware of this. They, 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 they were aware that the Germans were taking these tablets. Uh, there was over 3 million of these um, German soldiers, and they, each one had um, – there was about 35 million of these tablets that were sent to them in uh, April of June of 1940 when they mm -hmm. were you know, performing these, these blitz. First time the Germans, the Nazis, actually used these performance drugs was at the Olympics in 1936. Um, Benzedrine, you know, is the idea, which is essentially, it wasn't as dangerous as Pervitin, but that's kind of what started it. Is, um, they, saw, they saw what it could do. The yeah. Benefits. And they were like, okay, these guys are like, you know, they could outrun the average Joe and they can, they're not as tired. They don't tire easily. They, uh, they're stronger. It's like, okay, let's work with this. And that's kind of what evolved into this perv you know, Pervitin. But even when they started to realize that Pervitin was, because at first they, it was kind of seen as like a recreational drug. It's like a pick-me-up drug. And then they realized, oh, yeah, this is kind of really addictive. Um, but again, it it was, you know, imperative. It was very effective. Like it, allowed them, yeah. it allowed them at, um, we, all, we all heard of Dunkirk, right? They made the movie mm -hmm. Dunkirk, and we hear about the evacuation. But it was also a big military victory for the Nazis, when you think about it. They drove the French and the British armies off of mainland Europe, right? Yep. The Germans marched and fought for 10 consecutive days. And a lot of these papers I was reading saying that if they didn't have this drug, those tablets, they would not have been able to do that. Because all those soldiers fighting at Dunkirk, the German ones, were all pumped full of, of this, of basically speed. And mm -hmm. that's what allowed them to just march day and night and fight for 10 consecutive days. That the human body shouldn't be able to do that. But because they were so like pumped up on drugs, they were able to do it. So that's a direct, a direct uh, connection there. There is. And this really kind of, you know, became a big deal, at least historically in like 2000s. I mean, that's really when a lot of this, these studies were made that look back at these events. Um, that kind of let us know the extent to which 
in the German army really was drugged up. But the United, you know, U.S. soldiers in North Africa in 1942, they were also operating under influence of speed. Right, and know? the British, yeah, it started. I read when a German pilot was shot down, and they found that's how they found out. They yeah. found it, and they're like, "Oh, if they're doing it, that's how they're able to." Be like, they're always wondering how they're surviving these G forces, you know, with like yeah. the dive bombers and stuff like that. And they they kind of found it out. So they're like, "All right, how can we give our soldiers a chemical advantage?" So they started supplying them with something similar. Yeah. And it was yeah. given at the discretion of the medical officer. So it wasn't everyone, apparently. It was just like, all right, you're doing it on a more longer mission. It was a form of inhalers, I saw. It wasn't tablets. It was inhalers, I believe, yeah. for the British and the Americans. At yeah, there's a, there's a memo that came out in 1942 by a, from a British commanding officer that stated that the British 24th Armored Tank Brigade, uh, right before Battle of Egypt, each person in a tank brigade, the 24th, received 12, 20 milligrams of benzodrine per benzodrine, day. Benzodrine, yeah. Yeah, which is uh, the Royal Air Force was already getting them, but they were getting about 10 milligrams. Um, this doubled it because it's like, you know, it's a big invasion. This is really important. So, like, let's give you more drugs. And Ike was very, very much okay with this as well. I mean, and they say that the United States was more interested in, you know, in these drugs for their increased aggression and confidence, as you mentioned before. It was about boosting morale more, more so even than staying awake. Yeah, because what these drugs do is they keep you awake. They say it doesn't stop you from feeling tired. Exactly, like, like your you're body still tired. Yeah. That was di- that was a big difference between the Allied drugs and the Nazi drugs. From what I saw, mm-hmm. the Nazi drugs you wouldn't get tired because you're you were just ramped up the whole time. Yep. But the uh, British and American drugs weren't quite as dangerous. I guess it, the dosage or what they were using. That's what it was. was. Yeah, different. it was a different type. It was supposed to be not as bad for the soldier. But although it prevented a soldier from going to sleep and got him angry, it, it actually made they were still tired. You know, yeah, the body still craved sleep. You just couldn't fall asleep. So eventually, they came a point. And they were saying where you would just the soldier would just come off the drug for they wouldn't use a drug for like a day or two, and they would just collapse. And they because they just couldn't stay awake anymore. They would literally just collapse and sleep because yeah. they finally was out of their system and their body just shut down. The Battle of Waterloo was one of the most famous turning points in world history. But what happened next? My name's David Montgomery, and I'm the host of The Siecla, a history podcast that tackles exactly that. Join me as I cover France's overlooked century in between Napoleon and World War I. The Siecla, spelled S-I-E-C-L-E, is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and can be found wherever you get podcasts. Anything else you have? One more thing. That was a new type of drug that the Germans were trying to use towards the very end of the war. It was mm-hmm. after D-Day and everything. It was called D-9 or D-I-X. Mm-hmm. And it was designed to redefine the limits of human endurance. And it was a new type of pill. and was supplied to some German troops before the war ended, but it couldn't go into mass production. And what it basically did was it actually increased their um, reaction time. It was a combination mm-hmm. of all these different types of things they were basically using. Um, and it did provide the users, it said with superhuman strength, I'm not talking about, you know, picking up cars and stuff like that, but it basically increased their um, aggression. So it also increased their strength. Um, it also, bo- oh, it's a big boost of self-esteem and it kept them awake for days. Um, it, yep. was a, it was basically laced with oxycodone. <laughs> so you can imagine how addictive it was also. Um, yeah. And the German researchers were testing at certain concentration camps and um, what they found out is that this, in the people in the concentration camps who are already, unfortunately, you know, emancipated weak, they could, car- they could um, march in a circle 
uh, up to 90 kilometers per day without rest while carrying a 20 kilogram backpack. Yeah, so I saw that. So it was able to, so it worked. Um, it was just never able to put into massive effect before the war ended. But this was really something that Hitler thought was going to be his like saving grace. I was going to help win the wars. If we start giving these to our soldiers, it's going to make one German soldier equal to like 20 allied soldiers. That was basically the idea. Um, but yeah. it never went into mass production. I, I was trying to find stuff about where it is now or if it's used and stuff. Like it's basically speed and cocaine mixed together with a few other you know, added chemicals yeah. thrown in there. And then let's add a gun to it. <laughs> like, here you yeah. Go. yeah, let's get these psychopaths <laughs> that are about to, you know, lose their, lose oh, a war. Because the ones that were going to take it, these were going to be the Nazi like SS soldiers. These were not your yeah. average everyday soldiers. These were going to be the, the ones that were really indoctrinated with that Nazi fascism, the superiority, racial superiority. Exactly. Let's pump them up with a drug that's going to make them even more out of their mind and then give them, <laughs> give, yeah. give them, give them machine guns. I think that's a cool segue too. Like when you said, you know, the um, SS soldiers, how about Liebensborn? Do you remember that program? I mean, I think that kind of fits in this. Yeah. Mold. Yeah. Yeah. I saw Where they I try saw to that. create like the perfect Aryan race. So they, they would just, literally, yeah, God. yeah, they would, they would take these young women and these young women would sign up in Germany for this program where they would have them, they would essentially breed people. That's what it was. They, would, yeah. um, they, need, they need to yeah. repopulate the world after the Germans won. That was the idea. Yeah, so they would uh, they would you know have these young women and they would have them get together with these ultra high ranking intelligent SS officers to try to create these perfect you know Aryan SS babies. Again, this was like I guess it's genetics in a sense, right? Because they're not directly messing with genes, but they are breeding people for a specific. Well, they're looking purpose. to see two individuals which have the whole Aryan ideal that the Nazis had, and it was the whole idea was to have children for the Reich. And it was put them together and have these have them have babies. And then the husbands were or the fathers were not involved in the child raising at all. It's basically nope. all right, you're pregnant, you have a baby, that's great. Here's a baby. There was nurses that would tend to it. And then once the woman was ready, she's gonna have another baby. Like it was basically like um factory, more or less. Yep. No, that's that's basically what it was, yeah. The idea was to have these children and there's there what there are children. There was individuals um who are adults now who were born during that time. Like they were, they were bred to be part of this next Aryan race. That was their yeah. purpose. I know this whole documentary on that in Germany about these individuals, just you know, what their life was like, like when they really, you know, when they realized that. And I remember, I remember actually seeing a documentary years ago and the one lady was, you know, was chuckling because she was putting glasses on to read something. And she's like, yeah, See, she's like, like, yeah. My-, <laughs> my eyes aren't perfect. Yeah. 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 My eyes aren't perfect. Um, all right. So, I guess we can move on. You know, the United States not, it's not necessarily immune to to these no. trials. Uh, so, the U.S. Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, uh, basically DARPA, right? So, DARPA's offices have been trying to create, um, you know, make soldiers that are almost killproof. You know, all sorts of conditions. You know, infectious diseases, chemical, biological, radioactive weapons, temperature and altitude extremes harsh national environments, like they're trying to create super soldiers. DARPA has been trying to do this since the 40s. And, you know, while Nazi Germany fell and, you know, nothing came out of it, um, the DARPA continued. I mean, it continues to this day. They're still trying to create super they're soldiers. They're still trying to do these things. I know there was a ban on giving American soldiers um, amphetamines and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. it only lasted for five years. <clears throat> I think it went in effect in 91 and stopped in 96. Yeah. 
Um, I know we can talk about obviously Korea, Vietnam, Kuwait, but the big one I saw was they were giving a lot of soldiers on a voluntary basis, these chemical concoctions to protect them during the first Persian Gulf War in case Saddam Hussein released any poison gas. They were mm-hmm. these pills that were supposed to protect you from poison gas and basically like a super, super nutritional pill is what it was called. Oh, wow. So that's sort of thing I saw that DARPA is also looking into ways to make soldiers yes, smarter and stronger. And um, they're even have looking into modifying soldiers' genes, like which soldiers are more resistant to certain diseases. So is there a way to replicate that and give it to other soldiers? That's one of the things they're looking at. Yeah, yeah. There also is a drug they're testing, uh, modafinil, phenyl? Moda, I'm again pronouncing this wrong, but it enables soldiers to stay awake for about 40 hours. That's the whole sleep thing comes in again. Yeah, because they don't um, want you sleeping. When I say bad, yeah. like the, the breast, when a soldier's sleeping, the soldier can't be fighting. The soldier can't be doing can't be doing anything, and that's manpower that's not there. So the idea, if the longer we can have them fighting, the longer we can have them being a soldier, if our enemy is not doing that's going to be the advantage. Now, it's all about yep. getting advantage. It's all about how we're going to win. And yep. it's, it's, the more you think well, about it, this drug is actually being, this drug is being tested. Yeah. This drug is actually being tested right now. It, it allows the soldiers to stay awake for 40 hours straight without any ill effect, supposedly. Um, again, this guy, I mean, I don't know how you can stay up for 40 hours and not have some of, there's not gonna be any effects on you. Did you look into the whole idea of psychics? You know, like the Pentagon spent about twenty million dollars. Well, that was testing. that movie. That was that movie. Remember that movie, George Clooney? The um, what was it called? Uh, the The Men Who Stare at Goats. Yes. And that was yep. all. That is based on a true story. It was all about. Yeah. They they were called like the Jedi Knights or something like that. Yeah. It's all like, it was it was like, like psychic training, astral projection, extrasensory yeah. powers. Like they were trying to see if they could have extrasensory powers. Twenty million dollars of your taxpayers' money between nineteen seventy two and nineteen ninety six went into this idea. Of you know, they would have these remote viewers that would try to envision geographical locations, you know, that they have never seen before, like nuclear facilities, bunkers, for in foreign lands, and they would like sit them down and be like, "Can you see where this may be?" Um, again, the name of the project I think was like Stargate, Grill yeah. Flame Stargate, and eventually it was abandoned in two thousand two. But you know, it was it was an idea of try to create you know extrasensory people soldiers. Yeah, but you think it was really abandoned? Like, who knows? Like, it could have, they say it's abandoned, but it could still be some black book operation still working. Maybe it worked. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, stuff like that is yeah. one of those just crazy things, actual projection and mental powers. But it's, again, they're trying to make those super soldiers. And it comes up with, I was reading this um, interesting, I guess, essay that um, individuals posted online. It was like kind of like a thread. And it was, you know, is doing this, making trying to make super soldiers, is it... Um, Ethically, should it be allowed? And the idea is people are arguing, well, doping in sports is illegal. So why should it be allowed to be doping in military yeah, purposes? Military. So it's, it's one of those interesting um, beliefs and in what uh, paradigms. Inter- yeah. yeah. One of the inter- one of the responses was, was like doping in sports doesn't produce any meaningful benefit to society. But mm-hmm. using drugs to improve the performance in the military could save lives and it could also make easier missions to be complete, easier for the missions to be completed. And it helps your country win the conflict. You know, you kind of like, we talked about some of those weird weapons of war and that other, in our, one of our previous podcasts, mm-hmm. you do what you have to do to try to win. Yeah. So the other rules of war. Yeah. But the rules of war only, only happen if you lose the war, you know, if you yeah. win the war, you're going to knock on trial yourself. So <laughs> it, right. I mean, yep. American, so American pilots weren't put on trial for the bombing at Dresden. 
and stuff, right. things of that nature. So I don't know. Uh, it's kind of one of, those, one of those interesting, like you're saying, little quagmires, paradigms, whatever you want to call it. Like, is it morally wrong to dope up these soldiers, whether they know it or not? Some are volunteers. Some don't know what they're taking a lot of times. Yeah. You know, you're a soldier. Your commanding officer says, I right, take these pills, do this. You're going to do it. Like, that's how you're conditioned. That's how you're trained. Well, I kind of don't know what to take it. Uh, how about, you know, between 1955 and 1972, the LSD, you yeah. know, and PCP and, and pot research with drugs and soldiers. I mean, you have U.S. Army volunteers are taking pot, acid, angel dust to kind of see what effects that these drugs that have, have yeah. on them. They try to actually create artillery rounds that would disperse like powdered hallucinogens, you know, yeah, that would make these, them freak out. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah. They think they were um, fighting monsters or. Like and the same thing was coming. Yeah. So when they were doing these research things, the idea was to train them to withstand that. Well, wasn't LSD made as like a um, truth serum? It was. And then, yeah. and then the researchers, some lab assistants took it and started selling it on the streets. Yeah. And then it became like a big you know issue. But like it's it's uh... supposed to just calm you down to the point where you just tell tell you just answer everything truthfully because you you can't even think to lie. And interesting, you know, in 1981, because this kind of became a big deal that when this came out, that we're experimenting soldiers and drugs, the National Academy of Sciences conducted a study in 81 and found that there was no ill effects from the testing. And therefore, like, it was okay to test with LSD and other, you know, hallucinogens. They said no um, ill effects, even though... Yeah, they said, they said it was like no real ill. I guess they're, you know, it's protecting the military. You, well, yeah, but you also get addicted to it. Of course. It's yeah. Like, but I think it was the idea of like trying to protect the military. Yeah. Like it's okay oh, yeah. if they did these tests. It's okay. You know? they did it. It's not, they're not hurting anybody. Um, another thing that was done, it was the U S air force wanted to know how well pilots could survive high altitude jumps. Captain Joseph Kittinger um, was a test pilot and he made these like project Excelsior was the name of it in 1950s. And they tried to figure out, all right, how far can the pilot go and still eject and survive. So they would um, connect this guy into these like high altitude Excelsior balloons and he would go up tens of thousands of feet, you know, mm -hmm. then he would jump. Third record breaking flight, right? In 1960, took him up like almost 20 miles up in the air and then he wow. just kind of jumped. Yeah, he. they say he reached speeds of 614 miles per hour. The comparison, right? Speed of sound is 761 miles per hour. So he was at six. 14. He was, he was almost yeah. there. You know what I mean? And then the temperatures that he endured when now, he so jumped the, out. Yeah, the, just the heat coming down. Yeah. But even like when it, when he jumped out at the very top, right? Minus 94 degrees Fahrenheit when he jumped out. It, it's And then it just went, you know, in the opposite heat. So again, Project Excelsior, let's try to make our pilots, right, have an advantage. Well, it goes, yeah, that's the height of the Cold War, right? So they're trying to figure out what what the Russians are doing? What are we going to do? And that's still going on today with militaries around the world. I was saying, yeah. I guess we can segue into our next part. Like, obviously, they're still experimenting with drugs, like we're talking about. But a thing that you're seeing now are the ideas of exoskeletons for military use, mm -hmm. almost like that Iron Man type armor. I guess if we're using like the Super Soldier comparison with Captain America, you have these exoskeletons. And I was reading articles about how we're in basically a arms race with the Soviet Union right now. Well, sorry, the Russians right now. Uh -huh. um, over these things on which one is going to be more effective and there's a bunch of different um like Lockheed martin has the onyx which is this like um system that's allowing basically soldiers so they can carry more weight 
with these, and it basically just looks like um, if you ever bust up your knee really bad, one of those like ones with like the ball bearings and everything, but you wait around Mm -hmm. and it's supposed to basically do the walking for you. Like it will walk for you. So you 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 don't get tired. So then when you finally need to use your muscles yourself, you can just use it. You can carry like 80 pounds more uh, weight. So you have all these different ones that are out there. um, Eco boots, basically all those major... um, Med- uh, not medical firms, military firms uh, are making these exoskeletons. Like you're saying, like they help them jump as high as kangaroos and stuff like that. They That's the one weights. I was looking at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That one was really Hydraulics. interesting. Lockheed yep. Martin has a bunch. Yeah. Well, the, the what they're trying to do is uh, like try to get seven foot leaps at like 25 miles per hour yeah. spring. You know, it, the scientists at MIT have been asked by the U.S. government to research these. And they're trying to augment human ankle and Achilles tendon. So they're trying to create these bionic boots that mimic kangaroo tendons. And uh, it says like humans that are equipped with these boots would be able to leap seven feet and sprint like at inhuman speeds. Yeah. Without wearing out their muscles, which is a whole nother issue. It's, again, insane. There's ones that allow them to like see in all directions at once. I'm looking at the Talos suit. Yeah, the Talos suit does that. There's another one that I saw that Every, it's all bunch of basically these microscopic cameras, right? So you're mm-hmm. they're working, where they're wearing this suit and it's all these cameras, and it's a camouflage suit because what it does is it takes a picture of anything that's behind the soldier and it projects mm-hmm. it on the, on the screens in front. So it gives this kind of like a blurred camouflage effect Wow! because it's, it's, you get what I'm saying? Like it's recording the picture yeah. behind you, projecting it in front of you. So it's kind of like a cloaking device. So that's another like way to make a super soldier. Like you can sneak in and, Things of that nature. Wow. Did you uh, see the one about trying to create synthetic blood? I didn't see this. I've heard of that before, but I didn't see any article. I didn't look at that up now. Yeah. So they're, they're trying to, the US government is DARPA, really, is trying to create the synthetic DARPA. blood. Yeah. That would contain gases at pressures of nearly like 15,000 oh, PSI okay. um, and exchange carbon dioxide and oxygen the same way real blood cells do. But the premise of this is they would mix this with natural blood, right? These super soldiers would have the synthetic blood mixed with them. And what it would do is it would have, it would infuse them with like trillions of miniature air tanks inside their body, meaning that they would really not run out of breath and they could spend hours underwater without really other equipment. I mean, that's what they're trying to get to. But the first premise would be just to like, you don't run out of breath. Like you're just, your blood. It would prevent that fatigue from happening too, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Like to fill that buildup. That so that, I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, that's good. That would be one. That would definitely be something that I'm sure would be very useful in uh, yeah. military, also in sports. Imagine that you don't get fatigued at all. Yeah. Well, DARPA is also doing um, working on this persistence in combat initiative, um, where they're trying to have these pain immunizations. So they're trying to give people a shot that would work for about 30 days that would eliminate inflammation. Like your body would just really have no inflammation, and therefore. Um, if you have an injury, you wouldn't necessarily be hurt. Inflammation is your body's natural response to. <laughs> to that's just blocking the pain, right? So you're just yeah. blocking the pain. You're still gonna, you're still gonna feel it. You're still gonna. Yeah. Yeah. So the premise here is that you just—it's kind of like what morphine does. You're still gonna have the injuries. What I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, I guess morphine would be an interesting thing to talk about. You know, if you think about, you know, creating a super soldier when morphine came out, not super soldier in a sense of, but you know, like I'm going to run and, you know, knock down walls. But when you are hurt, the idea of just blocking out pain. Blocking out the pain, yeah. Yeah. Well, that was always something because of the Civil War, right? When they would yeah. bite the bullet and cut off a limb. Yeah. So like morphine just, that's just an advance in medical technology that 
definitely helps it. But yeah. So it's just all these ways, again, they're trying to just make these soldiers better, super in some way. But is that is this morally acceptable? That's kind of like the question that I'm kind of finding. Like, how much are you sort of aware of what they're doing? You know, how much harm are you putting these individuals through? But is it morally acceptable? Because if it's going to benefit society. But it's also benefit. Let's be honest. If you're making a soldier more super, that just means they're going to be able to kill more people. I mean, that's yeah. war. So yeah. you can say, yeah, you're saving lives. Yeah, but you're you're saving lives of people on your side. You're not necessarily saving lives on the other side. So it's it's a very complicated dilemma, really, I feel. Yeah. Everything, I remember a um, physics teacher I had in high school, he had a friend who, that's what he said anyway, that worked in the Department of Defense. Mm-hmm. And he said, anything that you see in the movies or in like as advertised by the military or anything they have, that's 20 years ago. That they have things that are, it's all, it's 20 years more than that. You're just seeing this stuff now. I look at a stealth fighter that was made in the 70s. It doesn't come out and be acknowledged until the Persian Gulf War in, in the early 90s. Yeah. So, like anything that they have, it, they're not going to say, "Oh yeah, we have this, we have that." No, they're not going to tell you. It's going to be stuff from you know way in the past that that, that they developed years ago that they're showing. It's not going to be anything current. Hmm. They're not going to show you what, currently what they're working on a lot of times. You know, See, That's my physics teacher in high school thought he was abducted by aliens. Well. True story. He was actually told not to like talk about it. Talk about that. Yeah. So naturally, we would always be like, "So, uh, what happened that night?" You know, he's like, "I can't talk about it." But he was like really serious. You know, like, <laughs> okay then. <laughs> Interesting segue. When we will yeah. not be doing a podcast on alien induction, though. <laughs> yeah. No. No. Let, let, let's, um, let's stay away from that. <laughs> I don't. Do you have anything else? No. That's that's really what I was finding. Like again, you do research. You can. You're going to fall into these pits of all right, what's real, what's not. That's what I was having a hard time. Like I've seen finding a lot of things, but I'm like, am I reading about like an actual program or is this a, some someone's book or someone's yeah. theory? Like I wanted to be very careful with not just throwing things out there that didn't have a lot of backing or yeah. didn't have a lot of that historical fact behind it. Because you want to make sure that it's what we're talking about were real experiments or things that were really happening, not just rumors and conspiracy theories, but there's a lot out there. And yeah. even seeing some of the battles, like I knew the Germans were taking pills, but it was basically speed, crystal meth. Yeah. And they were using, and, and we can have a whole podcast too. There that goes again on just the drugs that Hitler was taking Yeah, towards the end of the war, the whole war, really. He was, just, he was, oh, all, he was getting uh, shots like every was, day. Yeah, they had to take out over 800 injections of some of these things. Yeah. Like he was constantly on these things. So it makes sense then that he would have the soldiers in his army doing the same thing. Yep. All right. Well, I guess that kind of brings us to the end this week and I hope everyone enjoyed it and we'll see you guys next week. Enjoy. Have a good week. Take care. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. Hello, this is Gary Chachot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, 
the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.